0: I'm Esther and I am doing a podcast on faecal sludge management for emergencies and I'm going to be discussing different aspects and talking with different people working in different places on different things all related to poo and how we deal with it in emergencies. So today I'm talking with Andy Bastable.
1: So I'm the, uh, the head of water and sanitation for Oxfam's humanitarian part.
0: And how long have you been doing this?
1: with Oxfam for 27 years, but I started 34 years ago, so it's quite some time.
0: And what attracted you first to working on
1: poo? That Having spent a lot of the early years, as did the whole sector, working on water problems, realising that the whole problems with what you do with all the faecal sludge is a lot more challenging, a lot more difficult, and it hasn't had the funding, hasn't had the profile, and it needs kind of to actually come higher up the WASH agenda.
0: Over the last 20 years, how has the nature of working in emergencies changed?
1: I think we could say there's more actors these days, and it's lucky that we've got Sphere with some global guidelines, but still there's so many different actors that to try and get good quality um, sanitation work done um, in the field is still a challenge. So while there has been some improvement over the last 20 years and there's a much more standardized response to emergencies especially in camps it's still not of a of the quality which really we would like
0: Looking specifically at sanitation what do you think are the biggest issues facing the sanitation sector
1: I think it's one the people element which is how to involve people so that um, they use their toilets, so that we have lots of evidence now that either vulnerable groups or women aren't using toilets either in the night or not because of the, in the day because of privacy and dignity issues. There could be some cultural issues. Are they shared or are they non-shared? So I think there's a whole lot of work um, that needs to be done better on that collection of people's opinions and making them feel involved in their sanitation that's number one number two would be that while we've got a number of types of toilets that we can do and there's not enough push to get the right one for the appropriate you know the appropriate toilet for the right situation that could still do a bit a bit more work, but the really big thing is that when you 've done your right sort of toilet and if you have got on site treatment then that 's great that 's fantastic and there 's not enough kind of push on getting um, sustainable toilets in emergencies that are most likely going to be a long term emergency, and therefore to do a very fast, shallow toilet is not good enough. Number three is around the final deposit can kind of place in emergencies. We've had some fantastic examples of bad practice of people digging holes and all the sludge gets just put in a big hole and then starts to contaminate the whole surrounding area so at the moment there is no easy option, no kind of kit or not even a sort of tried-and-tested methodology that you could build on site of doing the final treatment and final deposit site for the faecal sludge.
0: Plain and simply, what are the problems if we don't sort sanitation emergencies?
1: Well, it's kind of like what we're seeing right now with the Rohingya response in Bangladesh is that a lot of open defecation, a lot of toilets full up and leaking into wells, standards which are not being adhered to, so you've got shallow wells just next door to pit latrines, and therefore we're already seeing the diarrhoea rates are going up and up and up. Bangladesh, being a big country for cholera, we're all very, very concerned that it will lead to a cholera outbreak, which in a dense camp, like Bangladesh and like most camps are actually, then the transmission of cholera then kind of goes extremely fast and you get a lot of death. Diarrhea rates and cholera are the main two killers.
0: Having seen the issues with people using toilets and the need for on-site, sustainable, long-term solutions in emergencies, what are the current problems that stop people thinking of these longer term ideas, what are the pressures and the issues?
1: So the number one thing, which was very much the case at the start of 650,000 people coming into Bangladesh um, with the Rohingya crisis, over, over about five or six weeks. So then the big push is to get somewhere where people can poo, so they don't have to do open defecation so everybody says well that's the that is the whole push so they did very shallow um, kind of one meter toilets not really having done the calculations that okay if you've got a hundred people using that toilet um, and you're maybe even using as low as 0.1 liters of solid you know per person still you've got only a matter of two or three weeks um, before all the toilets are full so, therefore, it's not really a sanitation kind of solution. It's a very, very it's, it's so short time, term as to actually create problems after those three or four weeks uh, when they're all full. So, it creates more problems than if you had less amount of latrines, but they were done, done deeper. In Ethiopia, we got hard rock. So, you have to actually do a, a raised latrine anyway, or you get a rock drill, which is very costly. So therefore, if you're going to do a raised latrine, then the cost of doing a double volt compost latrine or a um, tiger worm type latrine, that's about equal to a raised latrine. And then you get sustainable, a much more sustainable model because you don't get huge desludging costs. So the desludging costs is not just an economic thing that every few months you have to pay for a tanker to come along or people to desludge it, but it's also a uh, public health risk. Every time you're disludging, there's opportunities for people to get contaminated.
0: What truly innovative solutions have you found for the emergency sanitation context?
1: On-site treatment is a huge bonus for longer-term sustainability of the toilets. And that is urine diversion toilets and tiger worm toilets are the two main ones. We are also working on a modified septic tank this is for the very first phase where you've got maybe 100 to 150 users per cubicle everything's communal so you could say that um, Tiger Worm Toilets and UDT work best on family or shared family toilets but you still need that first phase option where in responses like the Haiti, Haiti Earthquake Response 2010 it was all about raised latrines which gave us a huge headache in having to desludge every three or four days. To avoid that by having a modified septic tank or some sort of anaerobic baffle reactor that comes in a kit form that you can get quickly set up is something that we're currently researching.
0: If we want to encourage more innovation in the sector, what are the key elements, be at a very small scale or at a larger scale, that you would pick out that excites you most about these innovative solutions?
1: There's a lot of technologies out there, but what we're seeing in emergencies is the majority of local staff from all agencies replicate what they've done and what they feel comfortable doing because that's what they've done before. And therefore, to introduce something new, and then then they say, ah, but the, the refugees won't accept... So uh, UNHCR and ECHO told us at the start of the Doloado Somali refugee camp, don't do UDT because the Somalis will never accept it, because they haven't had a a history of using urine diversion toilets, and, you know, they won't accept it. So we thought we're going to try it anyway. And it was a case of the aid workers or people who think they know about it not accepting it, whereas the population were very happy because the main feedback is well they don't smell. I think that it's a the major barrier is getting people at a field level to understand new technologies and feel empowered to in their view take a risk. In my view, no, just do something differently. And for that is it just a technical brief that's going to help them do that, or is it the right sort of expertise on the ground with them to help them make those decisions? Uh, And I do think it's more of the latter than just some technical guidance or technical brief from an agency headquarters.
0: So can you give me an example of how Oxfam is doing that?
1: We are trying to build up our cadre of people who understand how to do tiger worm toilets so having done it in um, Liberia, Sierra Leone, Ethiopia, Myanmar as Oxfam and then there's been spin-offs with other organizations we're trying to build up enough people who know and feel very comfortable to do tiger toilets exactly the same with UDT so we're doing that in all same countries and more so i've got more udt going on but again getting past this thing about oh you something people think it's something for development so if we've got enough staff that have done it in emergencies then it becomes the norm rather than something a bit strange so it's surprising what aid workers we think that would be embracing new approaches decide that no that's too much in the heat of those first few months it's too much trouble to try and introduce a new technology even though that will save so much time and money um over a few months
0: okay one last question for you what is the future in your mind of emergency sanitation in 20 years time when you're retiring and we do this interview again what will you be saying that you've seen that's innovative or the approaches that we've taken
1: reuse that at the moment i think that the game changer will be when urine which at the moment to try and resell urine you know as struvite for fertilizer it's it's extremely difficult to make money out of it the same with compost now at some time as fuel prices go up and human you know resource pressures on the world become more then will it then begin to have more of a value and therefore everything changes. So I kind of believe, maybe not for emergencies, but the future of sanitation is we can't, we can't suddenly think, oh, people will go back to being more interested in their poo, even, even if they can get money for it. And so I'm seeing it like you've got two ends. You've got the, the reuse end, um, but the ways in which you do that reuse would differ but depending on if you're in an emergency, a developing country, or a high-tech country. And if you were in a more high-tech country, then, you know, I'm looking at a NASA-type little black box. So all the poo goes into it. They take out the water, they take out the heavy metals, and they recycle what can be recycled. And then there's a very, very small bit of um, uh, heavy metals and other things that... They're the final end product. So you can do away with these fantastically expensive sewage treatment kind of systems, as we've got at the moment, hugely water-based and potentially contaminating, to something quite quite different.
0: Thank you, Andy, for talking to me about emergency sanitation and what you've seen that's innovative and interesting and where you see the future going.
1: Thank you.